0: Fresh Brains. Hi, thanks for tuning in. This week, Carl and I are going to be talking about using decadron in GBM patients and if it actually can worsen mortality. As always, if you want any citations for any of the literature we're talking about, check out our website, freshbrains.wtf. I'll try and put up some links there. If you work with GBM patients, if you give your patients decadron, I think you're going to find this really interesting. I found it really interesting personally. Hope you enjoy. So, Carl, yeah, Bill, uh, how often do you use dexamethasone, or I'm just going to call it decadron, probably most of the time? No, that's fine yeah we we use dexamethasone slash decadron quite a bit, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, anyone that's in neurosurgery and we we use decadron all the time, like we we almost literally give it out like candy, yeah, I mean, uh,
1: any kind of surgery, I feel like. We always get questions from you guys hey can we give decadron
0: <laughs> well decadron's great in general particularly uh with with like GBMs with big tumors you know they have, they have tons of edema we give tons of decadron all the time to these patients right oh yeah and we, we used to we used to use decadron basically for any sort
1: of swelling right any, sure. anytime you're looking at edema yeah um it, they used to use it for traumatic brain injury because you know you got some brain swelling there yeah yeah they would use it for spinal cord injury, so you get sure. some spinal cord swelling there. Sure. Um, any sort of like the classic one is vasogenic edema, right? It's, yeah, uh, exactly. Cause exactly. by the
0: leakage of the blood vessels, not by the actual death of the cells. Yes, that's the key usage of Decadron for these inflammatory conditions. Decadron's a steroid, so it it treats inflammation. Anytime you have inflammation, if it's edema caused by inflammation, other symptoms, you know, Decadron works really well. It's a really strong anti-inflammatory drug. So specifically today we're going to be talking about applications for GBM patients and Decadron. Have you ever, before, before we went through this, have you ever heard anyone talk about concerns about giving a GBM patient Decadron? Like, oh, you know, you got to be careful giving them Decadron the only reason that we would be careful with decadron would be for side effects yeah, yeah.
1: like uh like a gastritis or sure. uh probably the most common symptom that we see is actually mania oh yeah 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 i <laughs> uh, actually i like the way that uh one of our attendings uh wade mueller puts it when uh-huh. he's talking to patients he says you know what this is going to make you care a lot about certain details that really don't matter.
0: <laughs> and you really uh-huh. see that on the well, clinical side of Yeah, things. interesting. So in cancer in general, you know, steroids are used a ton. They're, they, like you were saying, for all sorts of different symptoms, they're really good. They're mostly used for symptomatic control in yeah. a lot of these, in a lot of these tumors. A lot of cancer patients have a lot of problems with weight loss and so they can help you put on weight. That's, that's one of like the side effects of them, right? Is that they right. make you gain a ton of weight. If you're, if you're wasting away, it's helpful for that. It's helpful for all sorts of pain, you know, cause a lot of the pain is caused by the inf- inflammation and actually in certain tumors, it's actually, it can actually be a treatment, right? Yeah. And particularly hematologic based tumors, it has effects on Cell cycle things, where it can actually inhibit the progression and growth of certain tumors, it can actually be like you know eff- effectively curative.
1: Right, and that's, so it's a really common part of the regimen for some of these hematologic malignancies. Yeah, in in our world, it's it's uh, most often used in uh, CNS lymphoma.
0: Yeah, yeah. If we're doing a, a biopsy case and you guys think it might be lymphoma, you guys are always like, oh yeah, don't give steroids because it's, it's going to make the tumor go away if it, if it's a lymphoma.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually a big problem
0: because, uh, like we were
1: talking about, you use steroids to control the edema to control symptoms. Mm-hmm. So
0: we we give steroids a ton all the time. What could we, what could possibly be wrong with with Decadron with steroids? Well, besides the side effects that
1: we talked about, and so one of the things I talked about earlier was you know we used to use steroids in TBI. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the biggest trials we have in neurosurgery is something called this crash study. mm Hmm. And that showed that steroids actually hurt a little more than they help in TBI. Yeah. So we know not to give them. Yeah. And we have three separate trials for the spine. NASCIS, that spine surgeons will debate back and forth on. But mm-hmm. the sum total in the recommendation in 2013 was to stop giving steroids for spinal cord injury. Yeah. You aim to use steroids when the therapeutic effect outweighs the the side effects. But we were finding that for at least a lot of these traumatic conditions that the... Mm-hmm side effects outweigh the therapeutic effects so that's why the recommendation is no steroids for
0: tbi no steroids for spinal cord injury but in terms of tumors it's a, it's a totally different beast yeah. like in those traumatic settings those are those are all edema caused by like you said cytotoxic edema that's swelling of the cells when you have ischemia in the area all the neurons are swelling in the tumor cases the cells themselves are not the swelling the, the predominant swelling is all vasogenic it's it's the inflammatory spilling of f- extracellular fluid into the space and you can see on the scans you look at you look at a ct of a tbi you know the brain itself is kind of pressed up you lose all the sulci if you look at if you look at a scan of a gbm you get this massive hypodensity on the ct or you know you look at the flare, it's all, it's all free fluid in there And that's Mm -hmm. that's really what steroids are good for. So If you're looking for a a case of where steroids might be good, GBMs seem to be a good case. And we know, I mean, clinically they get better, right? You'll get someone that's aphasic or hemipyretic on one side and they'll they'll gain
1: their strength back or start having their speech improved.
0: We see some real strong therapeutic benefit with GBMs particularly. um, And we know. Steroids in general have side effects. Like we said, you said, know, the the weight gain, usually that's good in some of these cancer patients. But you know, right. obviously increased rates of infection, um, the the GI side effects that you said, it can thin your tissue, you can have GI bleeding. So the the interesting thing that motivated this discussion was obviously we know steroids have immune modulation effects, right? Um, that's you know that's kind of how they are anti-inflammatory. Um, but what was interesting is there there's been some evidence recently that the immune modulation of steroids can actually affect GBM treatments and actually might uh, make the treatments less effective. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if we if we take a step back, when I first saw this, I was like, steroids inhibit GBM treatment. Like, what? How do how do you make that jump? Why would why would steroids? start affecting our GBM treatments. If you think about how our body actually fights cancer, you know, generally we have our immune system is constantly surveilling our body, you know, looking for all these weird cells. We have this natural system of of destroying things that are out of whack. One of the things in particularly with GBMs actually that makes them hard to treat is that the CNS is this immune privileged site. So a lot of those immune mechanisms don't function very well in the cns so it's kind of a setup for really aggressive tumors to be able to breed in there because it's such a difficult site for the immune system to operate in to to begin with if you start suppressing the immune system maybe the treatments might be less effective particularly in the cns
1: Hmm.
0: so if if we look back um, some of the the earliest studies that i could find. Um, on Decadron and GBMs. And this is definitely not an area of expertise of mine. This is just the the lit search that I was able to find. Uh-huh. Um, so if anyone if anyone has heard of any other studies that led up to this, I'd be very interested in knowing the history of how this came about. Um, but one of the first studies that I found was um, this study by Weller in 1997. They took human glioma cell cultures and they treated them with the, the chemo agents of the time, then Christine methotrexate, and a couple other, a couple other drugs. Um, they tested them with that, and then they added decadron to these cell cultures, and they found that when they added the decadron to the cell cultures, the chemo agents were less effective at killing these cells. On the one hand, it's kind of a clean study because it's it's just looking at these human glioma cells. On the other hand, it's also, you know, there's all sorts of things you can do in cell culture. Is this is this mechanism actually going to be present in humans? You know? Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe it inhibits their growth in cell culture, but is that actually clinically relevant? Right. So You know, that was an interesting first study. There was another study that I found that kind of followed up on that Gorman 2000. That kind of developed those initial findings um, and tried to break out specific mechanisms And so initially when I was reading about this, I was thinking, oh, decadron, it inhibits the immune system. It's probably inhibiting this this kind of immune mechanism. They actually found that it seems like the specific way that it disrupts chemo is actually the cell cycle effects. Like Hmm. I was saying, decadron has been shown to disrupt the normal cell cycle and actually can kind of slow down the turnover of, of cells. The way that our chemo agents and radiation and all those things obviously work is that they kill things that grow fast, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you slow down the cell turnover in these cells, that can actually make the chemo less effective in them. And so they found that in these cell culture astrocytes, Decadron was inhibiting the apoptosis caused by these chemo agents. So it's it's inhibiting apoptosis in these cell cultures, but... There are
1: a lot of things that inhibit apoptosis. (laughs) There are a lot of things that uh, work on cell cultures. Like one one of the things that way back when I was in med school, you know, we're we're working Uh on mice and rats. Uh And we find out that a lot of our research totally doesn't translate. Sure. Because, you know, it's on a mouse and a rat. Yeah. Yeah. For me specifically, it's because it was uh, like a a gene that's present in the mouse, but not the human. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, totally. For this case, I mean, they're using human astrocytes, so you don't have to deal with that. But it doesn't take into account the other possible factors. I mean, yeah. There's
0: all sorts of things that can be different in an actual patient. Right. I'm so, pretty. I'm pretty sure in human cell culture, uh, Diet Coke causes cancer. Oh yeah. All I know uh, is that it
1: dissolves a tooth in vitro, but in vivo, it does not dissolve my teeth. Uh, I mean. At least on the YouTube video. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know if you if you held Diet Coke in your mouth, would it dissolve your teeth? Right. It does. It give you if you drink it enough, is it going to give you gastritis? Uh, Well, all I know is that I've drunk a lot
1: of it (laughs) and I have not lost my teeth. Okay. Yet. Proof. We have a case study. (laughs) Okay. Well, the point was in a full human with all the other factors involved, you know, this might not translate. Yeah. 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 Do, like dexmazone seems to maybe harm the effects of chemotherapy agents in a cell culture. maybe it it inhibits apoptosis in a cell culture, but is that effect really going to translate to real life?
0: Yeah, so I didn't see any studies immediately afterwards. It's actually interesting the I think that this this Gorman paper at the end, they kind of say it was it was something like, so we really need to think about, should we be using Decadron in all these patients? We should like consider it. And I didn't find anything after, after this paper following up on like, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll tell you why
1: the, the answer is pretty obvious. Uh, what else are you going to do? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I so well, up a
0: phase like, can't move half his body. Like, yeah, it, I mean that, and that's, that's a good point. We'll, we'll get to, we'll get to that right. here in a second. Exactly. You know, what, we need, we need an actual alternative because you need, yeah, you need to give them something. But the suggestion of "Hey, is Decadron doing something that we don't realize?" was kind of out there at this point. Yeah. The um, next mention of this that I saw was in this Lancet paper, um, Margolin, 2012. So this was a trial. This is a phase two trial um, for melanoma and brain metastases using testing this drug Ipilimumab, um, which is, is isn't really relevant to what we're we're talking about here. Um, but the thing that I found interesting in the paper was that. They mentioned they, they split up the cohorts that were taking this drug into asymptomatic and symptomatic cohorts. And the outcomes of the chemo were dramatically different in the two cohorts. The ones that were symptomatic died a lot quicker and the treatment was not as effective in that group. And so, I mean, obviously you could say, well, they're symptomatic, they have worse disease. But what I thought was interesting was that the paper specifically also mentioned, well, these, this cohort of patients is also the one that is taking Decadron, and could Decadron be interacting with the the treatment of efficacy? So it's kind of taking that the the cell culture ideas and saying, "Hey, we're actually seeing differences in clinical populations that are taking decadron." And again, this is not randomized data. This is observational, this is, you know, correlational. So there are all sorts of explanations you can put in there, but it's it's starting to make a suggestion, "Hey, is decadron actually doing something here clinically?" Right, this is important too, right? Cuz if these guys
1: were not going to specifically control for Decadron, there wouldn't be a symptomatic patient
0: not taking Decadron, right? Yeah. Unless you want to put your foot down and do the actual trial where you say, I don't know if Decadron is hurting this person or not. So I'm going to randomize people to it. Like you said before, it is the clinical standard. We don't have a good alternative. So how are you going to not have someone on Decadron? Right. You know,
1: it's tough because you don't know if, is it because, is it worse or is it decadron, and so that's that's something that we really need to tease out.
0: Yeah. So after these couple papers, um, there there were a couple recent larger papers that specifically tried to tease out the effects of decadron and GBM treatment. I kind of want to go through these papers in a little more detail because these are where the bulk of the evidence is right now for is decadron harmful or not. First one is by Wong et al. in 2015, British Journal of Cancer. It's called Dexamethasone Exerts Profound Immunologic Interference on the Treatment Efficacy for Recurrent Glioblastoma. This is a post hoc analysis of the Novo TTF trial. We could probably do like a whole nother episode on Novo TTF.
1: just maybe a quick intro or something Yeah, to yeah. it. <laughs> so
0: T- Novo TTF, TTF is like tumor treating fields. When you hear about it and when you see it, it totally looks like some hokey fake thing. Like it's just, it's really hard to believe that this is real, but it's this, it's these electrodes that you, you like tape onto someone's head and it's supposed to create this electrical field that is supposed to disrupt the the cell division it's it, there's something about how it, they think it that it disrupts like the microtubules and the cells and yeah that makes sense like there's definitely some things that are directed by you know charge yeah yeah in sure. the cell
1: so if you mess that up with uh the outside electric field yeah we have something called optune at our institution where uh-huh. unfortunately you have to shave your head for it <laughs> yeah
0: yeah you got to stick these electrodes to your head yeah but, um, uh, it, you know, it has the feel of something that's like totally fake. And unfortunately, in the GBM community, because it's such a horrible disease with very limited treatment, there are a lot of people out there putting out these treatments that are not so supported by evidence. When you look at NOVO-TTF data, it actually, I mean, it actually looks like it might be doing something, though. We can, we can leave that discussion for another, right. another time. Regardless, this trial was NOVO-TTF versus best physician's choice of chemo. So one, one group was the Novo TTF, one, one group was the chemo group. One of the interesting things about this trial is this is recurrent GBM. Right. So, so they've already been treated, it's coming back, <laughs> this is like end of the line treatment. So they actually, the, in the Novo TTF group, they actually were not getting chemo. And so one of the interesting things is they were able to tease out the effects of the immunosuppressive effects of decadron independent of the Im- immunosuppressive effects of chemo, because all these people are on chemo, obviously, before this.
1: Yeah, it's the only population where you could feasibly do a study without doing the chemo.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this was a retrospective analysis of these patients in this trial, and they br- they broke them down by decadron dosage. High decadron use, low decadron use. They looked at different thresholds of, of decadron usage, and they, they kind of settled on four milligrams a day as kind of the cutoff of high versus low. Yeah,
1: so the main thing is this is a patient that's maintained on this dose. Yes, Long term, yes. this isn't just part of a taper, yeah, or an introductory. Like they gave them four, and then that w- that was their decadron dose.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that it was. And it, like like you and I are kind of used to the the acute. You know, they come in, we give IV pushes, and that's that's kind of the the loading them up. They come in, they're acutely symptomatic, so we we try and get them asymptomatic from that. But then you know, a lot of these patients are just maintained on decadron. They get them on, and you try and reduce it to as low a dose as you can. Before they become symptomatic, then they send them home, right? And they, when they looked at the different groups of patients, they seemed like there were similar tumor sizes and stuff between the groups. So it seems like they're they're saying clinically, it seems like these people had similar extent of disease. So when you look at patients who were greater than or less than four milligrams a day, um, the survival in the greater than four milligrams a day was a lot worse. Like in the Novo TTF group, the median survival. If you were taking large doses of decadron, was four point eight months, and small doses of decadron, eleven months. You lived twice as long if you weren't on high doses of decadron. That's that's wild. That is, yeah. <laughs> of course, it begs the
1: same question, though, right? You know, are these people taking more decadron because they're more symptomatic? Or? Exactly.
0: That's. I mean, when I when I look at the data, that's exactly what I think of. Like, well. Yeah, I mean, you say the tumor size is similar, but really, I mean, the, why were they taking so much Decadron? Was it just that the the physician was just randomly picking numbers out of the hat of how much Decadron they, they prescribed, or was it because they were just more symptomatic because they had worse disease? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to tease that out in observational data. There's got to be a reason why some of these people were on these higher doses of Decadron. One of the one of the other things that they looked at in this study was just looking at um, things like C D four counts, for example, as a as a measure of the immunosuppression. They showed that the C D four counts were decreased in patients taking large doses of decadron, and that decrease in C D four counts was, so it was also correlated with decreased survival. Well, That's suggests the immunosuppression effect is in there. <laughs> yeah. So that Wong, that Wong study was kind of that, that first study, and then um, just the next year, Pitter uh, and, and his colleagues uh, in 2016 put out an article in Brain, and I I actually really liked this article. Um, it it really went through a lot of different angles on this problem. So the the paper is kind of broken down into two sections. The first section was saying, okay. We've seen this effect of the correlation of decadron with bad outcomes in a couple different areas here. Let's really try and pin it down as best we can. So they took three different populations. They took 600 some patients from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. They took 500 patients from EORTC trial. This is the the temozolomide radiotherapy trial, um, and then. 800 patients from the german glioma network in these three trials they did a retrospective analysis of patients on high and low doses of decadron and looked at their progression-free survival and their overall survival they did comparisons of of the high and the low but they also did multivariate models to try to control more for the worse and the and the better patients well, the importance of the multivariate model is to try to tease out what
1: variables might be independent and dependent.
0: You know, again, if you're if you're doing a multivariate regression, it can help you if the if the variables aren't 100% correlated. You know, it can kind of tease that out a little bit. If the variables themselves are fundamentally correlated, like if everyone who gets Decadron gets Decadron because they're doing worse, you still can't tease that out with a multivariate model. They're still going to be correlated. But if they are a little bit uncorrelated, that multivariate model can kind of try and tease out some of that. They ran this same model in all three populations. In each population, decadron usage significantly shortened survival. In the first cohort, the median survival was 20 months off of decadron and 13 months on decadron. In the temozolomide trial, overall survival was 12 when you're on decadron versus 17 when you're off of decadron. In the German glioma network, overall survival was 12 on decadron and 16 off of decadron, so pretty pretty significant differences between the on decadron off decadron groups, right? Right. Uh, but again, it's it's just correlational. So that was that was like the first half of this paper. The second half of the paper kind of went more mechanistic. They had these mouse models of gliomas where they were giving them radiotherapy, and so you know they had them they had the mouse gliomas. They wa- they looked at their survival and the tumor growth. And then they had radiotherapy. Radiotherapy was obviously effective. It's effective in humans. And then they had another group where they did radiotherapy, but they also gave them decadron. And they showed that the decadron really significantly inhibited the effect of radiotherapy. So
1: they actually found a way to control for just decadron yeah. and show that one of our main treatment modalities, radiation for glioblastoma, at least in this model, this finally allows us to
0: separate decadron from symptoms. Yes, yes, because it's you know it's an experimental study, so we can now see decadron experimentally is inhibiting radiotherapy. And obviously it's a mouse model. It's not a human glioma. It's this made up glioma that they think is the same as a human glioma, but could possibly not translate. It's all those translational issues we were talking about earlier. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So it's, I mean, it, to me, it's very, it's very interesting and suggestive that this could be a problem, but you know, we need definitive human data before we actually can say for sure. Um, in, in this study, again, they, they were looking at the mechanisms of why is it inhibiting radiotherapy, and it, bo- it boils down to the cell cycle thing again where the, the slowing of the cell turnover and the not being in the correct cell cycle phase for radiotherapy to be effective. And so when the, the GBMs become resistant to radiotherapy because they're just not turning over as fast and they're not the, the radiation isn't able to hit them at the critical cell cycle point.
1: No, they um they had some pretty impressive P values here. Like Yeah. But did they uh what was the effect size? Was there a big difference in survival?
0: Tumor size at onset of neurological signs. Seizure, lethargy, weight loss. There's something else they did. You test lethargy in a asymptomatic mouse.
1: mice. You like flick it and it doesn't wake up and bite. <laughs> but it's a pretty pronounced effect size, so it's not like yeah. A small effect, but they just had a lot of mice, so the p value was low.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I can't remember what the actual effect size is, but if you look, you look at the the figures in the paper here. I mean, it, the, the these survival survival curves are pretty significantly different. I'm more of an abstracts only kind of guy. Well, you gotta. <laughs> I th- I think the figures translate well into a podcast. It it oh, works. works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> so the other thing that this paper brings up as okay, like we were talking about before. Okay, you can argue maybe Decadron has all these bad things. We know Decadron has bad things. We know there are all sorts of bad side effects with Decadron. The reason why we use it is because it works, it controls the symptoms, and we can't just let these people completely go uncontrolled. Um, so the, the interesting thing about this, this paper is they compare... Decadron to an alternative to Decadron to control the edema, in this case, a VEGF inhibitor. And we know of VEGF inhibitors in GBMs um, Hmm. because they've actually been proposed as a treatment of GBMs, like for Avastin, for example, is the big one.
1: Yeah, they figure you inhibit
0: angiogenesis.
1: That's the known effect of these things, right? Yeah, yeah. So if it can't get a blood supply, it can't grow. That's,
0: That's what we believe. Exactly. So Avastin bevacizumab... We can have a whole nother discussion. I think it'd be really interesting to actually get into the data of the therapeutic survival, progression free survival benefits of Avastin. You know, there's there's definitely data out there. There's multiple studies, um, and it's I think it's controversial and interesting. But regardless of where you hold on that, it definitely helps edema. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it's not it's probably not going to worsen the survival. Um, so I, th- I think I think it would be actually interesting to say if you if you actually compared human patients taking Decadron for symptomatic control versus Avastin for symptomatic control, is is the Avastin group going to survive longer because the radiation therapy or something is going to be more effective in that group? Yeah, and uh, so the VEGF inhibitors are somehow controlling edema. We don't know the mechanism to that, do we? I don't know offhand the specific mechanism of how VEGF inhibitors actually um, reduce edema. I mean, obviously they reduce vascular proliferation. That's right, but it's kind of a side effect that we didn't really anticipate. Yeah, right. You
1: know, we we start using them, we find out. Well, it's got great progression-free survival. It doesn't affect overall survival. Yeah, at least that's that, some that's some total
0: of the data. Yeah, yeah. most of the <laughs> data is very much teased out. <laughs> is suggesting that.
1: So you're finding the mice had basically larger tumors
0: before they became symptomatic. Is that that, that, the deal here? And one one of the complaints that I hear about using Avastin in tumors is that it inhibits the edema so much... That it makes them really hard to see on imaging, yeah. because you know it, it, they 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 almost become they don't enhance as much on imaging. They don't have all this edema because because the vascular proliferation is cut. But the one of the one of the side arguments we're we're, get, we're already getting into this right. whole, 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 right. whole <laughs> argument here. But one one of the one of the criticisms there is that it doesn't actually affect the tumor. So the tumor keeps growing, but it's almost like a silent tumor now. Right. So in this paper, um, the the mice that they treated. Decadron versus the VEGF inhibitors. Um, the VEGF inhibitors had similar control of their edema, but this effect of the Decadron inhibiting radiation therapy was gone. Yeah. So I, I, and so it, it's suggesting, Hey, if we used in, in patients only VEGF inhibitors, could we control their edema, but not have this Decadron survival difference? And I mean, I'd, obviously we have been using VEGF in these, in these glioblastoma patients. I bet a lot of them were also taking Decadron though. Yeah. So there's of course a lot of confounding
1: and actually uh, do you know if there's any data out there that VEGF has been used to control
0: acute symptoms or uh, cerebral edema? That's, that's interesting. I haven't actually, cause I've never, I've never actually used a VEGF inhibitor like the drug. Um, so I don't know anything about the pharmacokinetics of like how fast it Decadron works amazingly fast for what, you know, I I would not expect it to work that fast. Um, I don't, I, I actually don't know about VEGF and Herbert. Yeah, because because
1: that, that's something that they've that's been discussed. Yeah, is starting to use these to, for the cerebral
0: edema. Speaking of um acute control, uh, I, ca- I can't remember exactly. I think it was that I think it was that first paper by Weller. Um, they actually had a condition where they put the the cell cultures. They treated them with decadron. And then they stopped giving the decadron, and then they gave the therapy off of decadron after the after the cell cultures had already been exposed. And in that condition, the inhibitory effects of the decadron went away. So you could maybe maybe it could be that you know, acutely we give people decadron to stabilize them, but then we transition them onto something else like a VEGF inhibitor or some other some other type of drug um, that can kind of keep them in their maintenance phase. Right, um, because all these all these studies that show
1: uh, worsened survival all seem to be based on someone taking chronic decadron.
0: Yes, yes, yeah, uh, that, that's what all all of these studies are based on. So these two papers came out, and the thing the thing that actually piqued my interest in the whole thing was this JAMA Neurology article in 2019 um, by Wong again the same the same authors as 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 that one study um and it was it's it's an opinion paper just just presenting this whole argument of hey we have these couple studies out now that show maybe decadron is screwing with our gbm treatments we know that decadron's bad to begin with it it's it has increases infectious complications and it seems to be associated with worse outcomes in the end, they their, their conclusion of this, again, again, opinion paper, their conclusion was, together, the, the experience with dexamethasone offers compelling evidence to indicate that agents that interfere with immune effector function reduce the ability of patients with glioblastoma to mount an effective anti-tumor immune response. Pretty powerful statement. Powerful, yeah. In the context of, we use Decadron on everybody without even thinking about it. Like, like, like I said, you know, giving it out like candy, is this something we should reconsider? It sounds like it really is. I mean, you have to think about this in the setting of,
1: this is a horrible disease. Yes. Any treatment that has shown to have a survival benefit is a really incremental survival benefit. Like we're talking about mm-hmm. going from six to eight months or something like yes. that. Yes. For the median survival. And that, so even a little bit of time is pretty big proportionally to yeah. the, the amount of time <laughs> you're giving.
0: Yeah, I think if you look at overall GBM treatment, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, back in like the 70s, median survival was like six months. And with optimal treatment, nowadays, median survival is something like 18 months. Yeah, which is quite a bit more. Yeah, but but not 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 the five year survival rate probably
1: hasn't changed too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, But the important thing is, though, you know, even giving somebody a month in this context is giving someone a lot of time. And if, yeah. uh, you know, Decadron is hurting someone's chance of making it to one of those further out points, then you're really hurting them. Yeah. I will say there's not compelling evidence to withhold Decadron in the very acute phase. Yeah. In here, yet. Yeah. Now, this this whole... uh Bevacizumab and cerebral edema is, is being looked at mm-hmm. and maybe it might provide a, a better avenue for acute treatment, Yeah. but with the, the those tumor cells being resensitized after removal of decadron, mm-hmm. it suggests that, you, that it's a pretty good drug in the acute phase only.
0: Yeah. It's also cheaper, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, if
1: they're using the bag in the 70s, this is, that has to be cheaper than dirt <laughs> yeah. relative to yes. Bevacizumab.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> They literally they literally make it they literally make it as candy now. There's chocolate coated Decadron. Oh yeah. I, d- I don't I don't think that's true. I I'm making that up. Hey, you know
1: what? I will <laughs> say I do sometimes prescribe uh the chocolate X lax that'll be a little more amenable to that than I don't know whatever syrup for the kids. <laughs> I I didn't know
0: they made chocolate Ex-Lax. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but this provides pretty compelling evidence to say, "Hey, you know what? Long-term steroid treatments we know has bad effects." Yeah. yeah. And here we've established there is a pretty decent alternative with the only downside to it appearing to be
0: cost. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to me it at least suggests that we should kind of take a little more of a pause in our prescribing of Decadron. You know, I mean, like you said we know Decadron has side effects. We don't we don't just prescribe it to everybody. We, pres- we prescribe it for specific reasons, but it's just another, another kind of side effect in the background of makes you do a double take of, does this person really need to be on Decadron? Should I be tapering it off more? And really, to me, it suggests that I—I I think it's there's enough evidence to really support just doing a randomized trial. Yeah, a group. I mean, it, clearly, there's a large enough
1: group of symptomatic people. Yeah, we have two drugs that seem to be having an effect, a similar effect. With one drug potentially provide like appearing to provide a significant benefit over the other. Yeah,
0: it would suggest that, presumably, yeah. but, you know what what it's saying. Which I, again, I, we we have to prove, but presumably you could control the symptoms just with Avastin. Yeah. And then if you compare the s- groups of sympt- symptomatically controlled with Avastin versus Decadron, do the Avastin ones live longer? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it would be yeah. definitely interesting to do. We just have to find and someone. Do to every pay other for it.
1: chemo regimen the same way. Yeah. Because that'd be interesting if it turns out that while Avastin doesn't de- diminish the effect of the chemo. Yeah, you end up starting later treating recurrences because you don't notice a recurrence until mm-hmm. way too way into the progression of the disease. Mm. While decadron, you still see the progression. Mm-hmm. It might hurt the chemo, but you see it a lot earlier. So yeah. who knows? I mean, that yeah. that sounds like a perfect randomized control trial thing. But <laughs> but I'll, t- but I'll tell you how how this stuff has already affected yeah. things uh, like from from just our reading. Yeah, you have someone come in with like just a little bit of cerebral edema. Now, it used to be the algorithm for us is basically, you know, have tumor start decadron if you don't think it's lymphoma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at this point, I will admit that personally, I've been a lot more reluctant to start somebody on decadron yeah, yeah. for like no reason. I'm like, there's a little bit of edema, you know, a little bit of edema. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Am I really going to start something that's going to hurt their chances at surviving? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> that sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Now. So I will say this has
0: already changed my my, my own practice. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll see how it goes. If anybody out there has any thoughts or anything to add, we are definitely not the experts in this field. If there's anyone that has anything else to contribute, we would be glad to glad to hear it. All right, so I think that that about wraps it up for today. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Decadron <laughs> <and> candy, <laughs> chocolate coated decadron. Mm. For kids.